You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast edition here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We would love it if you would let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. It is a Pop Culture Tuesday. And we're going to look at the intersection of culture and pop culture and conservatism in a few minutes. Phelan McAleer is going to join us. And he wrote the New York Times bestselling book that uh, him and his wife uh, actually did that exposed America to the true horrors and evils of Kermit Gosnell. And he has uh, produced the movie adaptation of his book uh, that is coming out nationwide on Friday. And we're going to talk to him and preview uh, the film version that uh, is coming your way in theaters nationwide this Friday, a little bit later on in the podcast. However, some of you may have heard, uh, and we've been teasing this, uh, some big news about the future of our podcast. I want to spend the top of our broadcast today um, making sure everybody is clear on the details. So what was announced today, if you're if you're not yet aware, and uh, Glenn Beck announced this on his show uh, this morning, is uh, CRTV and The Blaze have agreed to enter into a partnership to distribute and market this podcast together. So we are still the property of CRTV. Uh, You will still get our TV show with CRTV each and every day. And and that TV show will continue to be, if you're a CRTV subscriber, which you just go to CRTV.com, use my name as a promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. That show will continue to be focused on the topical political events uh, of the day. And that will be the focus of that show each and every day at CRTV.com. This Westwood One podcast that you're getting is being replaced by this new expanded show we're going to be doing for CRTV and The Blaze each day. Now, here's the way this is going to work. Starting on Monday, from noon to 2 Eastern, right? As soon as Glenn Beck signs off on The Blaze at noon, We come on for the next two hours after that, from noon to 2 Eastern. If you're a Blaze subscriber, you'll get to watch it on Roku, on the Blaze cable channel, uh, at theblaze.com. You'll get to watch the production live. You'll get to watch the archived production on demand later if you want to go that route. Uh, And that show is going to be focused more on broader cultural conversations that in a longer form, you know, uh, broadcast... More than the 30 minutes we get on CRTV with our television so a, a television episode every day. That's going to be a broader cultural conversation that the longer form broadcast permits us to. Just like we do with our podcast here every day. We have Pop Culture Tuesday, Theology Thursday, Buy, Seller, Hold Wednesday. We're going to still have all of those things. They're just going to be bigger and more expansive and broader now because we have a two-hour show. And you'll get to watch that live if you're a Blaze subscriber from noon to two, noon to two Eastern every day at the Blaze, their cable channel, the Roku channel, 
uh, et cetera. If you're not a Blaze subscriber, you can listen to it live for free at theblaze.com. You can listen to the audio only like you could any other radio show and you can call in and everything else at theblaze.com noon to two Eastern every weekday. And then if you can't listen live and those of you that listen to this on demand later in the day, guess what? The current subscription you have, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, this podcast is still going to be there every day. So what does it mean? It means you're getting the same podcast you were getting before, more of it, and available on more platforms than ever before. That's the biggest change of them all. Aaron, I have all those logistics correct? Yep, that's correct. Basically, what we're saying is we're coming out of the closet as a radio show. In a way, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it, yeah it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. And the, the bottom line is, if you're already a CRTV subscriber who likes listening to the longer form podcast as well, along with the t- CRTV show, every, nothing's going to change. You just get more content for more bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Um, if you still want our heavy hitting analysis of the political world, you still need to keep the CRTV show, which, I mean, with the, the midterms coming up and then after that, there's no, I mean, th- there's no reason... Um, to, you know, to, to think that anything's going to slow down in that neck of the woods. Uh, the bottom line is, again, you're getting more bang for your buck. And if you're not paying a buck, then you're getting more stuff for free, which this is America. So that's the, that's the way we're headed anyway. So I've always kind of worn, along the lines of what Aaron's talking about, Todd, I've always kind of worn two hats. In, on one hand, um, until Donald Trump broke my model, I had a pretty good knack for political algorithm analysis, data analysis, and people have paid me pretty good money for it because I've got a pretty good knack for it. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make that what happens every day on CRTV. The reaction to the day's topical events and the political analysis at all. We're gonna give our unique take on that every day. That's gonna be the focus of the CRTV show. And this new, more expanded uh, podcast, The Blaze, is going to help distribute. This is going to be where I'm now going to take that, the the political analyst hat off. I'm going to put the hat on of cultural commentator, and we're going to address the broader cultural conversations we were already having on this podcast. We're going to get to have them uh, to an even wider audience now, courtesy of this partnership with The Blaze. And of course, they are um, they are very much, despite that you separating in that sense, they're very much intertwined because for us to do on CRTV uh, within the next month in particular, uh, where uh, the one who is dumbest last loses will be front and center, in order for us to have that political mantra and that political diagnosis you you learn now and you will learn only more uh, on the audio podcast that we are, are doing on, on The Blaze as well, all of the uh, spiritual, psychological, uh, cultural research that goes into being able to put together yes. a bumper sticker like that. We didn't just pick it out of the air because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you have many mantras over the years, Steve, uh, and one that's becoming more and more prevalent, terrible people doing terrible things all the time. Well, th- it's... We don't say that because it's fun. It's quite chilling, actually. But mm-hmm. we've we've done the research over time to put together that, as that's about as solid as anything we know. That's a good way of looking at it, Todd. Because I, I guess what I'll to narrow it down even further. On CRTV every day, we're going to do the math. On the Blaze every day, we're going to show you how to do the math. Yeah, two totally different things. Okay, so on the Blaze, we're going to do the math. I'm sorry, on CRTV, we're going to do the math, and then on the Blaze every day, we're going to show you how to do the math. Why the math? 
We're going to tell you what the math is on CRTV, and then we're going to show you every day here with this longer podcast why the math is what it is. Exactly. Right? That's exactly right. So we're looking forward to that. And again, that starts on Monday. And if you're a subscriber to this podcast, if this is your primary way of contacting us and, and getting our content every day, you don't have to change anything. This is going to be available to you uh, as in its current form. You'll likely, you'll just be getting more of it and it'll sound more like a radio show. Like you might hear me and we've been hearing more and more ads in the podcast anyway, as the podcast has grown. But now that we're going over to the blaze between the audiences at CRTV and the blaze, uh, the audience for this podcast is going to grow uh, quite a bit. Which means when we have bigger audience, means more people want you to know about their products. So it'll just sound like more of a traditional radio show to you. But uh, other than that, if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, on demand, you're still going to be able to get that the same way you always have. That's the only thing that's going to change. Okay? We're, we're recording. No, that's fine. All right, here we go. Uh, three, two, and one. Well, as promised, we're joined now here today on Westwood One by Fela McAleer. He is... Uh, a producer, a veteran, invest- a veteran investigative journalist, uh, and also uh, the co-writer of Gosnell, uh, the, tri- the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer. The book was a New York Times bestseller a few years ago that has now become a major motion picture releasing nationwide on Friday. So it's a perfect topic for our Pop Culture Tuesday podcast here on Westwood One. And we welcome Phelan to today's Steve Day Show. Phelan, it's an honor to have you with us here on the podcast, brother. How are you? It's great to be on. Thank you for having me on. So the movie in its release on Friday... And I remember when I talked to you, and I'm, I, I doubt you remember us because you did, I'm sure, 700 interviews. I do the same thing when I release a book. But I remember we talked a lot about the blackout around the original <laughs> Gosnell story and, and how much about, about the life issue and the abortion argument you and your wife who co-wrote the book learned from this case really firsthand for the first time because of how one-sided a lot of the media coverage was or just ignored the controversy around Gosnell to begin with. Are you seeing something similar now with the release of your movie where there's a good portion of people that live in one part of America that just want to pretend this movie is not coming out and this story never happened? Are you seeing the same thing happen again, Phelan? Uh, it's unbelievable. It, it just keeps going and going, and they are shameless, 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 shameless. Um, you know, they, they, you know, for, for just just to give you an example of the last couple of weeks, NPR. We wanted to take advertising on NPR. We wanted to pay them good money, you know, real money to, mm-hmm. to advertise on NPR, to sponsorship. Yeah, we could advertise, provided we didn't call Gosnell an abortion doctor. You know, even though NPR in their own news stories have called Gosnell an abortion doctor. Mm. Uh, so this is this is this is what we're up against. Facebook yesterday just banned 30 of our ads. So we've tried to boost 30 posts, you know, about the movie and people writing about the movie. They just they just wouldn't let us do it. Uh, you know, when we tried to raise the money for it, Kickstarter wouldn't let us raise the money on Kickstarter because you can't, they didn't want us to use the word murder because that would offend their community standards. Mm. I said to them, I don't want to be part of any community that doesn't, that, that, that has a lie as a standard. So we took it to Indiegogo. That, that's, that's what we're up against. And, you know, 
I mean, the cover-up, it was covered up at the very beginning. It was covered up all through as Gosnell was killing. Then the trial was covered up and the media refused to cover it. This is a story that no one wants told, which is why I'm so happy to bring it to 600 theaters this, this Friday. I go back again to the conversation I had about uh, the book's original release a few years ago. And correct me if I'm wrong, I, I believe you and your wife, I remember you telling me, you guys kind of came into this sort of abortion agnostic. Uh, about the issue or the debate in particular, um, and that this really opened your eyes to a side of the argument that you previously didn't have a lot of exposure to. Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, you know, abortion neutral, you know, and uh, you know, let me translate that for your for your listeners. When you're neutral on abortion, you're pro-abortion. Um, but you know, we didn't know what abortion was actually. It's only you know, researching a book and a movie when you actually have to find out what's what legal abortion is and what illegal Right, I mean, if they're telling you you don't want the government to tell a woman what to do with her own body, I mean, we're, yeah. if you're a Western freedom-loving person, you agree the government yeah. shouldn't force you to do something you don't want to do with your body, right? We agree yeah. with that, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and who's going to, how dare you try and take someone's choice away? You know, but then you then you start to find out what that choice involves mm-hmm. and how, how, how it works out in practice and how it works out in reality and what, what a so-called good abortion uh, is and uh, you know the the uh, it, it was it was truly shocking. I mean, in fact, the jury was shocked by what a good abortion was. That was the defense. Uh, the prosecution brought a good abortionist into, into the case to say, uh, you know, this is what a good abortion is, and here's why Gosnell should be guilty. And they were shocked by the details of of what a real abortion is. I mean, I have to say, I think Planned Parenthood are geniuses. They've done the best marketing job for abortion in, you know, by miles. You know, they, you honestly do not know. No one in America really knows what an abortion is unless you're an activist. Mm-hmm. What, you know? what does this movie, uh, does it go into vivid detail about, about this? Because um, some friends of mine are producing mm-hmm. uh, a movie uh, written uh, based on a book written by a former Planned Parenthood worker who wrote mm-hmm. a whistleblowing expose about them uh, a few years ago. And they just mm-hmm. finished shooting the film and they're going to bring it out next year. And I can tell you, you know, we've had a couple of conversations where they want to be very honest based on what the book shows goes on, goes on inside the quote unquote clinic. Mm-hmm. They want to be very honest about it. But even some Christian pro-lifers or that, that are, are fans of their work are, are suggesting that maybe they sanitize it a little bit. It, you know, maybe people, you know, uh, it would get lost if they really knew how graphic it was. As again, people who kind of came into this abortion neutral and then were confronted with the realities of the horrors of when it went went on inside Kermit's clinic. I mean, do you think that does the film go there? Does it really show what really happens here? Our our film does not go there. And that was very deliberate. Our film is PG 13 Mm -hmm. because we need as large an audience as possible. We need as many people as possible to see this. So, um, and that that's deliberate, and you know that the other people can they can make their own decisions. But you know it's important that you that you uh, that you, you know, we have a wide audience as possible. This is a law and order episode. Mm-hmm. This is this is you know this is like NCIS. This is a courtroom drama, and we were very deliberate in that. Uh, people talk about what happened, but you never see anything. You know it's not gory. It's not a horror show. It's our biggest barrier. 
to, to making this movie a success is that people will fear that this is a horror movie. It's not. So he is clearly cast then as a serial killer who happens to be an abortionist, not an abortionist who is defined as a serial killer. Would that be an accurate distinction of how he's portrayed Kermit Gosnell is in the film? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, you know, if you were a serial killer, abortion, an abortion clinic would be a wonderful place to be that, mm. you know, um, you can kill live babies uh, to your heart's content. You can actually kill your patients too, by the way. And because that abortion is such a protected place in these Democrat leftist cities, you can kill at will for years for no consequences because people will not investigate an abortion clinic. I mean, no one, no health inspector, despite several people dying, multiple people being mutilated by this man and the body's literally piling up in his cellar. Not one health inspector passed that door in 17 years. They were closing nail clinics up the road for using the wrong chemicals on nails and having too much dust. But the bodies were coming out of Gosnell's clinic every few months and uh, nothing happened. So if you are a serial killer, it's a good question. If you're a serial killer... By the way, when I, when I talked about going there, I didn't mean visually with gore. I meant in terms of how the, the characters in the film discuss amongst one another the the accuracies of the horrors that he is that he is guilty of so the audience is forced to come to grips with the realities of what was actually going on inside of that clinic. Yeah, you know, we know we do we do we do go there and we do look at those issues. You know, one of the big things with this film was, uh, and one of the big things of the case was that the prosecution almost ruined their own case by introducing uh, a legal abortionist and explaining what a legal abortion was because the jury suddenly realized for the first time how close a legal abortion was to Gosnell's activities, hmm. that there wasn't a huge gap and created real doubt in their mind. I mean, there's a scene, you know, the, the good abortion doctor, the professional abortion doctor was asked to, to establish her professional credentials. And they asked her, how many abortions have you done? And in the, in the film, we have the doctor saying uh, 30,000, right, which is an enormous number. In the actual trial, in the trial transcripts, it was 40,000. The jury gasped when they heard that in the trial. They actually gasped. Hmm. And, uh, you know, then they started asking about babies being born alive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they, uh, they, 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 you know, they, they, there was virtual, there was shock in the courtroom when the, the, the good abortion doctor was asked, what happens if a baby is born alive? And she says, we would give it comfort care. And everyone's going, what's comfort care? All these journalists go, what's comfort care? So they asked her, what's comfort care? And she said, we put the baby aside, keep it warm, and eventually it will pass. Mm. And the jury's sort of sitting there going, so it's legal to let a baby die of starvation and dehydration, but if you're Kermit Gosnell and you kill the baby with, with, a, with a knife or a pair of scissors, then that's murder? It's like, well, what's, that's a distinction without a difference, really, for, for a lot of the jury. So we go there into what is who's the real serial killer here and is he really a serial killer and what is what does society accept and what don't they accept 
it's fascinating because what I hear you saying is the local prosecutor was doing everything they could to avoid mm-hmm. avoid having abortion defined as murder. And so mm-hmm. they, they talked about, here's a sanitized version of it, but, mm-hmm. the, but the nuances were so murky that yeah. they almost let a murderer get off from murder because they wanted to avoid calling murder what it was. That's what I hear you saying, right? That's what, that's yep. what happened. Yep. That's, that's the, that's, and that's at the heart of this film. Is, is, that, is, is How do you do that dance, that delicate dance? You and, can't. And the answer is, yeah. it's very, it, yeah, yeah. You end up, you know, destroying the definition of life, destroying the definition of the law, destroying the definition of murder, and making a very confused, and almost letting a murderer away with, with murder. One of the things I remember from your book I was fascinated by is is the fact that the that Gosnell's clinic went unregulated for years, even though in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. the practice of abortion is heavily regulated, like um, how many days, waiting periods, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, uh, legislatures, the legislature in Pennsylvania and the Republican governor, Tom Ridge there, for so many years signed, quote unquote, pro-life bills and laws uh, that regulated the practice of abortion. But then they never actually followed up with any of their regulations. And so for years, Kermit Gosnell just lie, falsified and lied about x-rays and sonograms and, uh, you know, in utero records to say that the baby was this yeah. old when he wasn't this old. The baby was conceived in rape when he or she was not. And, and the reason why I think that's important is because, and, and I'm sure this is outside of your expertise, but it's an important distinction for my audience. We have we have since Roe versus Wade as a pro life movement. We have spent, and I'm I mean, my mom nearly aborted me. I'm 45 years old. I'm as old as Roe v. Wade. We have spent my entire lifetime trying to incrementally regulate this from existence, but. We are relying, number one, I mean, we don't have like a prenatal registry, so the people, and we wouldn't want that, that's a huge invasion of privacy, obviously, so we're relying on people who kill children for a living to accurately report um, their own, uh, to self-report, essentially, against their own state's regulations, Mm -hmm. and then in the state of Pennsylvania, what the hell is the point of passing all these regulations when you're not going to do any regulating? I I think your book exposes, uh, unintentionally, I know, but a huge strategic fallacy of the pro-life movement for the last 45 years, Phelan. Yeah, I mean, also, there's a whole thing about, you know, um, they also then decided that they wouldn't uh, uh, carry out those regulations. They wouldn't follow those regulations. Tom Ridge eventually decided that, that you know what, that law that says you have to inspect an abortion clinic every year, that doesn't really mean that. Because he was told you can't win Pennsylvania unless you're a moderate. Remember back before 2016 when you mm-hmm. told you had to be a moderate, squishy Republican to win Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. Tom Ridge believed that. Uh, so he, he he was the one who stopped the investigations, stopped the inspections of abortion clinics, and they only went into Gosnell's clinic because he uh, because he was selling opioid drugs, opioid prescriptions. It was a DEA investigation that uncovered him, and a local cop who was smart who uncovered him. But apart from that, as I hadn't been that, no government inspector had gone in that clinic for seventeen years. That's incredible. That's absolutely in. Incredible! That's incredible, yeah. Phelan. That, mm. that, so that's that, that's a willful. That's just that is when you have just deciding as a government 
you're just not going to adjudicate, prosecute, and apply the law. You're willfully doing that, right? Willfully. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Yeah, they just decided that the law wasn't, that they weren't going to enforce the law. So this idea is you need more regulations for something and more regulations and more regulations. They can just decide not to, not to enforce it. What was the biggest challenge getting this movie made the last four years? You know, what was the biggest challenge? Um, I think the biggest challenge was, was um, you know, well, it was a challenge all along. The mainstream media basically have tried to shut this down from Kickstarter not allowing us to crowdfund to NPR refusing to let us advertise, Facebook banning 30 of our ads. You know, it just goes on and on and on. Like, this is one of the most successful crowdfunded movies ever. Um, 30,000 people give 2.3 million. We've never been covered by any of the mainstream media, and they love crowdfunding projects. But Mm. no, they don't want anything to do with us. So it's opening on Friday. Hollywood doesn't want this to be made. We need people to come out this weekend to show Hollywood that the cover-up stops here. What about the movie are you the most proud of, Phelan? I think the the scenes where, you know, where we show media cover-up, I think the scenes where we have Janine Turner, who's a wonderful actress, play the good abortion doctor. I think that's a pivotal scene. I think I'm proud of everything, actually. You know, it's, uh, making it is, is, is quite an achievement. Getting it released. So few films are made. So few films are released. And we're so happy to be, to be doing that. Total non-sequitur question before I let you go. But, you know, I'm a Superman fanboy. He was like my masculine <laughs> role model growing up. Okay, so... Yeah. You know, um, if 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 it was up to me, we were gonna. I was gonna walk down the aisle to John Williams' Superman score at my wedding, but my wife wouldn't permit it. All right, so, uh, so total non sequitur fanboy question. I gotta ask. Dean Kane seems like a really cool guy, right? I mean, what's he like yeah. in real life? He's he's a ni- one of the nicest people you've ever met, basically. Quite simply, he's he's and he's got time for everyone. He's always stopping for photographs, always talking to fans. He's just a, an all-round nice guy. He's wonderful. Good. Great to work with. Good. Good to hear that. Phelan McAleer is uh, the man who co-wrote the book with his wife that blew the lid off of the Kermit Gosnell story. Um, and now the movie opening this Friday nationwide, Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer. And it's been an honor having you with us, Phelan, uh, on this uh, topic and everything, all the work you've done to expose this story. Uh, thank you very much and God bless you, brother. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's get some reaction what we just heard from uh, Phelan McAleer. So, Tom, let me start with you. What stood out to you about this conversation we just had with Phelan? Well, going back to the beginning when you talked about that blackout, I experienced this firsthand. When when this was going on, I was a, a reporter at the Des Moines Register. And this this story was simultaneously everywhere and nowhere at the same time. There was an utter blackout at the Des Moines Register. And our... If I if I name the name, you would know who our uh, wire editor uh, was at the time, and I just flat out emailed on a, a, him and I said that this is inexcusable. That day after day after day, this has been out there uh, for weeks, if not months. We have nothing about this coverage in it, and I just wanted to see what he was going to say. And he said, "Well, this is a local story." And I said, why wasn't Matthew Shepard a local oh, story? I, I provided uh, examples of why mm-hmm. uh, 
that's not a standard that I am certain you could not uh, uh, uphold. If I just paged through our paper today, you would not be able to justify that. And he said, uh, he got back to me and he said, are are you calling me a a liar? And And I flat out told him, I said, yeah, I am. This is Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer aren't local stories. Yeah. So you yeah. can now you can all understand why I my career never progressed at the point because I had to have conversations like that with just flat out liars. It's funny you bring up uh, that I brought up the name Matthew Shepard because I had this exact same experience when I worked at the Des Moines Register. Uh, I was on the desk one night and a story came across the AP wire of two gay men in Arkansas who had kidnapped a preteen boy, took him back to their trailer and they raped him to death. And, and this happened, uh, and initially, uh, the AP report identified them as homosexual, and then in its follow-up substitutes did not. And, you know, this was actually going on during the time of the Matthew Shepard controversy. And I don't have a problem with covering what happened to him. That's a tragedy. But my question was, why isn't this tragedy worthy of covering? It's a little bit like... I thought Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire asked a brilliant question yesterday on Columbus Day, which is, I have no, he's like, I have no issues with your criticisms of some of Columbus's behavior. I'm just trying to figure out why the cannibalism of the indigenous people doesn't seem to offend you. How come, how come the white European acting like a douchebag bothers you, but the indigenous people keeping children in cages so they can boil them and eat them later doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to, to strike your fancy as intolerable in any way? That's kind of what you're alluding to, right? Yeah. yeah. And the double, we found out even later that the double standard was worse. I, just for example, with Matthew Shepard, and to his great credit, a, a, a gay reporter said that this was, this was a drug deal that was gone bad. It was mm-hmm. not simply targeting. So there's always... A, a, a ridiculous amount of narrative choking what you are receiving in terms of the news you actually see or the great void that there is of things that you're not seeing. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, I, and it is it, it it was striking. I remember that too. Um, there was very little coverage about what, what was going on surrounding Kermit Gostell and the absolute frustration um, that this is, a, this is a, one of the biggest stories um of our lifetimes honestly mm-hmm. it really is and it's just it's it's their shibboleth it is what they it's the hill that they will die on good word yep. and um it, it will um it will never these types of things will never be covered um and understanding that and having that hit you in the face Having that hit you in the face again with um, the Center for Medical Progress videos, undercover videos, uh, having that hit you in the face again when, as Todd brings up the example all the time, watching the Congress, you know, members of Congress with the faced with that evi- that type of evidence, just eh, just whitewash uh, what's going on in in areas like this. That is so frustrating. I, I hope though, I, I know that Phelan said that you know the, the biggest obstacle is getting people to understand that this is not a a horror movie i hope though that they don't they don't um what's the word i hope they don't sterilize this this film this needs to hit people and hit people hard and i hope that it's able to do that even if even within this kind of courtroom drama genre that um, that I believe Phelan was kind of describing this film being. I hope, though, 
the gravity of of what happened there is able to hit a larger audience than it did at the time because of the media. When the trial was going on, uh, we were doing uh, nationally syndicated radio for uh, Salem at the time, and I, I would read aloud the testimony at night of what people were testifying had been happening in this clinic for years. Yeah, and you inc- included it all yeah. in one of your books. Yeah, it's it's actually in a, a portion of it is in a nefarious plot. That, Lord yeah, Nefarious yeah. Um, essentially dance, th- dances th- the same jig that uh, uh, Hitler danced at the Champs-Élysées uh, in the winter of 1940 when they took out Paris. That's essentially the victory lap that he takes with the Kermit Gosnell testimony. And it is beyond abhorrent. And I think... You're dealing this is where this is where you're dealing with a level of spiritual malevolence that there isn't a political cure for. And this is why we as a pro-life movement haven't ended this yet. Because we are attempting to use the political process in order to apply our spiritual and moral convictions, as opposed to letting our spiritual and moral convictions compel the political process to respond. And so we're out doing things like Father Frank Pavone a couple of years ago at Priest for Life was advocating a bill. Was it in Idaho, Montana, uh, where they agreed they would anesthetize children before they aborted them? Yeah. Like imagine standing up in Berlin, anesthetize the Jews before you before you give them the Zyklon X. OK, I mean, what I, I don't know that they make Schindler's list if, if he if that was his stance. Right. It, will we anesthetize them? I made Joseph Fine's character anesthetize them before we killed them. Would that would they make a movie about a guy that that was his big moral stance? Probably not. Probably not. And so we've spent going on five decades now on all these regulatory practices that always rely on the government that is advocating and funding the killing of children and those that are doing the killing to self-report. And the governments that are funding and and allow and permitting the killing of children to regul to, to follow through on these regulations. And here we sit in the state of Pennsylvania. And what did you hear Phelan McAleer say? For 17 years, not one Pennsylvania state regulator walked in, set foot in Kermit Gosnell's clinic while he falsified x-ray records and prenatal records and ultrasound records in order to get around all of the and they were that's what they were fake regulations so if you're if you're a member of the pro-life community in pennsylvania and you fought for all these regulations congratulations here's your sign you wasted your time you you accomplished nothing you you accomplished less than nothing um and and this is what we have spent the bulk of our time on as a pro-life movement for the last five decades, as a, tell me how we would be any further behind if we would have spent all of this time fighting to define what life is and when life begins, as opposed to regulating abortion. Would we be any further behind than we are now? I don't see how that's possible. I, 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 I don't, you can argue that we wouldn't be any further ahead, there, I, right. but, I, but there's no way we'd be any further behind. And how can you know that that's not the argument the other side wants to have? Did you hear what else Fela McAleer said, which is the prosecution nearly lost this case because they were so adamant in not, not proving a blanket statement that abortion is murder 
that they tried to say, here's a safe abortion versus what Kermit Gosnell did. And the re- and they were so close together and so closely aligned. And there was so much crossover between the two that they nearly let this guy off the hook because they, what did they, they wanted to avoid saying they were killing that, that abortion is always the killing of a human being. And they simply wanted to say only doing it the way Kermit Gosnell was doing it was killing. And, and, and the attempt to thread that needle, to have a camel pass through the eye of a needle, if you get the expression here, their attempt to try to do this juris, with, their, with their jurisprudence almost let Kermit Gosnell walk right out the front door. Yeah, the, it, when you sum it up that way, it makes me think of that original episode of uh, Black Mirror with the Prime Minister and the pig. And uh, the moral of that story isn't how macabre that particular instance is. It's just how much the people drank it up and Mm -hmm. popped popcorn. And that's what that's the point the serial killer uh, wanted to make. Not that people will do anything. Yeah, there's a there's always a dark underbelly, an awful one to humanity. It's that when exposed to it, a lot of people will pull up a chair and say, "Hmm, tell me more." Instead of, you know, and a lot of their words against it will just kind of be, "Well, I I, I got to kind of check that box in polite society." But I mean, that's what's ch- chilling about this. If the this, cool I, kids and the smart people tell you yeah. that Everybody's doing Molech nowadays. Yeah, yeah. You will gladly go down into the Valley of Ben Hinnom and stand in line yes. and wait your turn to throw your children into the yes. fire as a tribute to him as well. I think that's actually what broke Father Pavone. I, I, I think you'd agree with me that over the course of a long career, he's fought about as hard sure. as anybody. And I think he just looked into that mirror a few too many times, and I think he grew despondent. I really think that's what happened there. I mean, I wouldn't point out the moral inconsistency of someone whose moral standard I didn't have any respect for. No, no, I, I think yeah. what you pointed it out was fair because it was deeply disappointing. He, he just struck me as a man who... Um, he, it wasn't just a pure political sellout. I think he reached the bottom. I think he just really cracked. Well, we're looking forward to this movie coming out this weekend. Want to thank all of you who tuned in today here on our podcast. And let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And again, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. If you have time today, click like or subscribe there on iTunes or Stitcher. We would appreciate that. Leave us a positive review as well. And until the next time, John 317. Steve Dace. I like it, you.